Welcome to the Programmatic Digest, a podcast dedicated to review industry headlines and trends in the programmatic and digital ad tech world. I'm Ellen Parker, your host and Chief Programmatic Sensei of Ellen Parker Consulting, where we offer customizable training in programmatic media. Welcome, everybody, to the Programmatic Digest podcast. We have a special guest I'm super excited about, Dr. Fu. How are you doing today? Great. Uh, glad to be here with you, Ellen. I am super excited for today's conversation. We're going to talk everything about fraudulence and uh, in the programmatic media space. But before we get into this conversation, I'd like to, sh- to give a special shout out to our sponsor. This episode has been sponsored by WorkReduce. If you want to reimagine how to work in advertising, check out WorkReduce forward slash careers. And now let's get into our conversation with Dr. Fu. Can you give us a a quick two, three minutes to introduce yourself? Let us know who you are, what you currently are doing, and how you got here. We would love to hear about your journey. Great. Well, I've been in digital marketing since the very beginning. And by the very (laughs) beginning, uh, that means about the mid-90s. So, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, 95, 96 timeframe, we really saw the internet uh, starting to bubble up into the public sector, right? So it, it had been in academia and the military before, but then, you know, we really saw people start to create web pages. And, you know, early on, it was uh, just text with links, right? They didn't even have pictures, but we've come a long way since then. So I remember the the old days when I had to convince clients they needed a website, and that was kind of my first uh, foray into digital. Yeah. But uh, we're now 26 years into it, and we've seen a lot of things change. And mm. now uh, so many billions of ads are bought and sold with algorithms. So I've been kind of observing that uh, journey the whole time. But I've been a small business owner most of that time. I, I have worked at uh, American Express on the client side, on the advertiser side, and I have worked for two uh, agency holding companies. So I have a little bit of experience in those uh, areas as well. But I'm a scientist by training, and mm-hmm. I like looking at numbers and analytics. Mm-hmm. And the reason I got into the fraud research is because I started to see really strange analytics, right? 50% click-through rates, 100% click-through rates. And th- those just didn't seem realistic, right? Humans don't click on ads that much. <laughs> you know, when I started asking for explanations, uh, no one could really give me a straight answer. Okay. So I had to dig in myself, and we've since developed some tools. Uh, you you might have heard of Foo Analytics as a platform. Uh, it's my own tool set to do audits and collect the data so that we actually have a reliable source of information to use. That so is great. That is great um, because I came across your your platform. And platform here is used in the terms of real digital real estate, um, and including the full analytics um, via my good friend Shelly Stone. And as she's been talking about you, and then she's she's show forwarding me all of these articles. And you get you need to get him on the podcast. And I'm like, you don't even have to say no more. I read one article and I'm booked. Take my money already, <laughs> because I don't think this conversation is happening the way you are sharing the knowledge to the people. Um, and what I mean by that for anybody listening is that, yes, we tend to talk about, um, you know, fraud and impression and high CTRs, but like, what does it really mean when you're looking at that metric and what do you do from there? How are you going to execute on the data that you're, that you're looking at? So it's, it's really great to, to have you here to talk. 
Yeah, um, I've seen a lot of marketers uh, in the last 10 years, especially they're shifting budgets from offline channels into digital. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, that's a good thing because in digital, you do have a lot more metrics. You do have more measurability mm-hmm. because you have kind of the feedback loop. However, they're not aware enough of the problems related to bot activity because mm-hmm. the bots can not only cause the ads to load, they can also click on the ads. So oh. if you're recording those clicks in your analytics, you mm-hmm. might accidentally think something is performing really, really well because you're getting a whole bunch of clicks. And unfortunately, those clicks are not necessarily from humans. Right. So part of what I have to do is educate the marketer on, okay, we really need to look more carefully to see, do these clicks and do the sessions that come to your site actually make sense? And one of the easiest things they can do is if they look more closely at their own analytics, uh, they don't really need any kind of specialized technology or anything. But if you see some of the sessions coming from your paid digital channels, uh, when they come to the site and it's 99% bounce rate or one second time on site, some of those things are just not valuable to you. Because Mm -hmm. if a human actually meant to click on an ad, Uh, When they arrive on your site, they're probably going to look around a little bit, right? They're going to spend a little bit of time, do some research. So, you know, the characteristics of those visitors can be easily seen in your own Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics, right? But unfortunately, a lot of times the marketers treat programmatic as kind of like playing a video game, right? Mm -hmm. So you set it in for it, you set some parameters up in the beginning, and you might have these colorful dashboards that show you big numbers, right? Mm -hmm. You've got a whole bunch of ads, you know. And you're getting a whole bunch of clicks and then they really don't ask further questions. So my hope is that now, even though they've been aware of ad fraud, uh, now they're kind of digging in a little bit more and asking the harder questions and looking more closely at analytics. Right. And it's, it's, again, it's a great point. You mentioned the set and forget it drives me nuts when <laughs> when I come across. Uh, and, and before we started recording, I told you a little bit of what I was doing in working with agencies and helping them not only train their employees, but become better at how they're executing from a day-to-day perspective and from like a holistic view. And um, there are still a lot of cases where there are setting and forgetting and forget it type of campaigns. Um, and, and for many reasons, I don't think a, a, a great buyer, which most of us are, we are just, we just lack a little bit of confidence or just a little bit of that oomph. But most of us are excellent buyers, but we are just overworked and we wear many, um, many hats. And then also another thing I'm coming across is the fact that there are so many demands from clients, like not even the substantial uh, requests, you know, that pulls us away from the work that you're allowing them to become more efficient at. So talk to us a little bit about uh, Foo Analytics, Analytics, sorry. And then I want to chat about how to optimize digital media with Foo Analytics. And that's one of the, that's the most recent newsletter that you posted. And for those listening or watching, I'll have his, um, that link in the show notes, but you can easily find him in on any social media, including on LinkedIn. And I strongly recommend that you go subscribe to that gems. It's like free game through like his, his newsletter. So you don't want to miss on that. So before we get into the article, talk to us about the, the the platform itself. How easy is it to access it? What would be, I know the benefit, but for somebody that's first time hearing it, what would be the benefit of working with somebody like you or implementing the tags? What does that mean? So a lot of people have Google Analytics on their own website. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but they might be buying uh, fraud detection technology from Double Verify or Integral Ad Signs for yep. their programmatic campaigns. Yep. What Foo Analytics is doing is it's a platform that's based on a JavaScript a tag. Mm -hmm. So we collect the same data as Google Analytics, but instead of using it for quantity purposes, like how many page views, how long did the person stay, what I'm trying to do is detect fraud with it. Right. So when the bot makers make the bots, they usually have to specify a whole bunch of parameters. Right. So usually they try to uh, make the bot look like a real browser. Mm. Sometimes they mess up. So when they say it's an iPhone, but we detect the screen resolution to be 1920 by 1080, that's clearly a desktop monitor. It's not an iPhone screen resolution. Right. So when we see those discrepancies, those become red flags. And yeah. if we see enough red flags for a single impression, Mm. Now we can mark that as something's wrong with that, right? We call it confirmed problematic or confirmed bots. One thing to realize is that fraud is much more than bots now, right? In the good old days when you only had websites and you were showing ads on sites, yeah, used to generate traffic, right? When you have traffic, then you can sell more ads. But now that we've moved into mobile and mobile apps and CTV, there's many other forms of fraud. And when you find a website uh, or a mobile app that's a cheater, meaning they're juicing their own numbers by using bot activity or other forms of fraud, um, they're not going to stop at just one form of fraud, right? If they're already buying bot traffic, they might do other things on the site like ad stacking, right? Stick 15 ads on top of each other uh, in the same ad slot. So then they wow. can multiply their own revenue. They might do pop-unders, they might do pixel stuffing. So a lot of different shenanigans occur on the site that's not necessarily just bot traffic, right? So you got to take into account a lot of the different forms of fraud. Unfortunately, the current most widely used fraud detection companies, tech, was tuned to look for bot activity, right? Invalid traffic, IVT. And it's not clear whether they catch all the other forms of fraud or whether they're even looking for it. So what Foo Analytics is doing is we're collecting the data and we're showing the clients all the supporting data so they can understand why something is fraudulent or not, mm -hmm. or why something is shady, right? So sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll I'll talk about this one kind of uh, potentially fraud, mm -hmm. uh, ad slot refreshing, right? So the same ad slot, uh, sometimes it's legitimate for the publisher to refresh it every, say, 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. What if they refresh it every 20 seconds? What if they refresh it every five seconds? Right. Where's that threshold? Like, so, yeah, they just keep loading ads in the yeah. same ad slot when the user's not doing anything. Mm -hmm. So there becomes a point where some of that can be considered fraudulent activity. And so by presenting the data to the client, they can say, OK, well, in this particular case, it's probably OK. Right. It's a video uh, site. And when someone's sitting there watching a video for 15 minutes, the publisher has the right to refresh the ad every 30 yeah. seconds or so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then you see another case where they're literally re reloading the ads every one second, right? So when you <laughs> see that data, then you can say, well, okay, I'm going to not buy from that site anymore. Yeah. And then it gets to kind of what you said, the practical, uh, the so what, what can we do about it? Uh, once you see these sites that are cheaters, you take that domain and you add it into your block list, right? So it's kind of giving you the analytics so that you can actually take action yourself. And that is in contrast to the other widely used fraud detection companies, because I call them black box, because they just give you a number, right? Uh, X percent IVT. You really can't do anything with that, right? You really can't troubleshoot your campaigns with just a number. 
And really all the people have been, all the marketers have been able to do is just try to go get a refund. But unfortunately the campaign's over, the money's gone. And as you can imagine, once the money's in the bad guy's pockets, you're never getting it back. Hmm. So it's always better to have the monitoring uh, in place while the campaign is still running so that you can actually start to remove some of these most egregious bad guys first, right? That hmm. remove the science from the apps. And that way you're cleaning the campaign yourself and then you can actually see it improve while the campaign is still running rather than wait till the very end. Okay. So uh, you just dropped a lot of gems and um, we are going to get into the article because you do recommend to uh, look at site and apps uh, blocking from your, your programmatic media campaigns while optimizing for brain safety, et cetera. Um, but I just had a question. Was it again? Oh. Okay, so when when some when one hears you, it's it's uh it's uh it's it's tough. It's going to be tough, right? Because um we tend to put a lot of trust on pre-bid filtering and then post-bid filtering, like you just mentioned. And those two uh those two companies, the black box vendors, give you that percentage. And so from a trader perspective, I'll look at this percentage and then I'll start digging more and more afterwards. And so I like the fact that you say it has to be ongoing monitoring at this point. You can't just wait at the end of the month to start looking at your at one of those mini dashboard you mentioned, I don't know, mode, IAS, whatever it is, because it has to be consistent. It has to be, you have to keep doing it. Um, but this is probably a million dollar question, but will fraud ever be preventable? <laughs> Can we ever prevent fraud from happening yes. to our campaigns? Okay, good, yes. good. Yeah. You know, um, and some people like to make it out to be a very complex problem. But if marketers actually bought from real publishers that had real human audiences, most of this fraud that's coming through the programmatic exchanges uh, will be avoided to begin with. Wow. However, a lot of marketers are addicted to the very large quantities that they can buy in programmatic the very low prices that they can find programmatic and the very high click-through rates. So those three things kind of combine and really cause this addiction uh, among marketers. And wow. all three of those things are actually enabled by bot activity. Because if we only stuck to humans, first of all, if you think about large publishers like New York Times or any of the Condé Nast or Meredith or Hearst websites, the mm -hmm. human audiences don't grow and contract um very quickly right they grow very slowly they contract mm -hmm. very slowly single digit percentages so how else are you going to actually achieve those hockey stick projections that ad tech companies provide their vcs wow. right mm -hmm. the only way to do that is by using bot activity mm -hmm. right so a legitimate publisher they're hoping that enough humans visit their site so they can actually hit their number at the end of the month right they can have some projections about how many page views, how many ad impressions they can sell. But the fake sites that have no humans visiting because simply humans don't know that they're there, the way they can very reliably guarantee the traffic is to just go out and buy the traffic. And you might've seen me tweet the term bought traffic equals yeah. bought traffic, right? B-O-U-G-H-T traffic is bought traffic. And common sense will tell you there's not a whole bunch of humans sitting around with nothing to do but to go to your specific website when you tell them to, right? <laughs> so humans are not reliable for traffic, but botnets are, right? You can literally go buy exactly 10 million page views for your website at a wow. particular price, right? So 
the fraudulent sites or the fake websites, what they do is they buy reliable bot traffic. Mm-hmm. However, those bots are good enough to get by the detection of the existing fraud detection companies. So yes. then when you get a number that's like 1% fraud or 1% IVT, you just think mm-hmm. everything's fine. So then you keep buying. That so is, unfortunately, yeah. that's perpetuated the problem. That's, that's really dope. And I think it's a good segue into, I'm going to stop sharing my screen. And I know if you're listening on your podcast, on Spotify, whichever, I apologize for you not seeing, but I recommend that you go and um, take a look at Dr. Fu's, uh, one of the Dr. Fu's uh, latest newsletter. Well, I guess it wouldn't be latest newsletter in two weeks when this goes live. But the article that I'm I'm looking at right now, can you see my screen okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is how to optimize digital media. Uh, with Foo Analytics. So we've been talking about Foo Analytics, and then there's quite a few things that you're dropping by. Um, but when somebody sees this information, um, and maybe it is just us as human beings overcomplicating things, but can you walk us through like this case studies and yeah. how long did it take you to pull some of this information? Like how long right. does it so, get to take to get there? Yeah, actually, you know, this is coming from a tag that goes on the e-commerce site. So this okay. is an example from an e-commerce merchant mm-hmm. where they put the code onto their site, very similar to Google Analytics. Okay. So in Foo Analytics, blue means humans, red means bots. Okay. So what we're measuring would be the clicks that are coming from these different pay channels. So mm-hmm. again, for the people who are just listening, let me describe what we're seeing. So there are two display sources, right? These are display ads and you buy it from vendor A and you buy it from vendor B. Yeah. When you look at the relative amount of blue and red, these are the clicks that come from the programmatic display ads and arrive on the website where we have this measurement. So you can see in, in case A, there's a lot of dark red. That means a lot of bots clicked on the ads and came to the site. And there's a little bit of blue. Yeah. In case B, you see a lot more blue and very little red. So if you were just looking at comparing those two display sources, it's a very simple, uh, you can very simply understand that you'd want to allocate more budget to B because mm-hmm. more of the yeah. clicks are blue, meaning more of the clicks are coming from humans. And as you know, humans are the ones who are going to buy your stuff, right? Or convert. Yep. Bots are not going to. So this is kind of at a high level, simply knowing uh, the relative quality of the different paid sources so that you can simply shift budget or reallocate budget between them. And then C or D is basically two paid search sources. And you can see they're kind of similar. So in that particular case, you may not need to take action. And finally, E and F would be where E is paid social. And you see a huge amount of dark blue, which means those are real clicks coming through to your site. Whereas native, there's actually a lot more dark red in there, right? So again, this is at a very high level, a simple way for you to optimize your budget by reallocating them between channels from the worst channels to the better channels. So when I look at this, because I read the article and the first question I had was like, oh, darn, like, as a programmatic media <laughs> strategist, most of my budget will be taken out of the platform. So sometimes when we do that, it makes sense. Obviously, it all goes back to your but um, your marketing objectives and your KPIs, the programmatic KPIs that you're optimizing for. So I want to preface that. But when I look at the example, for instance, I think, gosh, that client is going to, it makes more sense to pull 
from this channel into something else. So a lot of the programmatic media budget will be almost depleted, right? Into other channels. But again, so, if it makes sense based on objective, then fine. But how do we prevent this from happening? Because it is a cer- it's certainly a, a, an important channel, isn't it? Yeah, I guess for the programmatic folks on, on the, on the per- podcast, um, mm-hmm. the idea is that if you're just working in programmatic, that's one of the, the many diff- different uh, digital marketing channels that you could, mm-hmm. the client could use. But because yeah. you're in programmatic only, the mm-hmm. next section actually talks about how do you optimize within programmatic. So I think the programmatic folks, they just need to realize that if you don't optimize your programmatic mm-hmm. and search is actually driving a lot more human clicks, your client's probably going to take money away from you. Exactly. So it's better for you to be proactive and actually start to optimize the programmatic so that there's not that much dark red in there anymore, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this next section that I'm referring to is when Foo Analytics uh, tags go into the ad impressions, mm-hmm. uh, we call those in-ad tags as opposed to the, what we talked about previously, which is on-site tags. Right? So okay. now tags go into uh, the ads themselves. And usually uh, different platforms like DB360 or CM360, there's places you can just copy and paste the tag. So it's really okay. two seconds, right? right. Once okay. you tag in the ad, you can actually see where the ads are going and whether it was a bot or some other form of fraud that caused it to load. Mm-hmm. So once the data is collected into the Foo Analytics platform, usually a, about a day's worth of data is, is more than enough for you to actually start to make some optimizations. You okay. can see here in this chart uh, where the ads went. So what you're looking at here would be, uh, these are mobile, uh, these are ads that went to mobile apps that are running through the MoPub exchange. And when you look on the right-hand side, you can actually see, wow, some of these actually have very high amounts of fraud. And what we've done here is actually bubble up the top 10 uh, apps by volume, right? So the largest 10, because there could be many, many apps that are committing fraud. But if there's an app that's only eating up five to 10 impressions, it really doesn't matter uh, from a monetary standpoint. But if you have an app like this, that's eating up 1.2 million impressions, that's mm-hmm. a very significant chunk of your money, right? So what we do is we look at the top 10 most egregious bad guys first. And if we see these, we can actually easily add them to a block list. Mm-hmm. So what I meant earlier by saying these are this is a way for you to clean your campaigns yourself. Because yeah. we can show you which apps were causing the fraud or eating up your um, your impressions. This is dope. Um, as easy as adding it to the list and then you can copy and paste that and send it to your agency, tell them to add it to a block list. Or if you're doing that yourself, you can do it uh, in your own interface. That's, this is great. Thank you. Last question before we go into our closing segment. Um, so I know you mentioned different level of tagging. So you mentioned the in, in ad tag and then the site-based tag. So what are the difference in the two or whichever? And mainly the, the, the question I'm asking is like, what will be the difference in the measuring? of those tags, of the measurements? Um, they're very similar, but okay. let me tell you why we differentiate the tag. Okay, okay. So when the tag goes on the page, mm-hmm. imagine the person, the user is actually moving around the page, like uh, they're moving the mouse, they're scrolling up and down. Mm-hmm. When our tag is on the page, we get to see those events oh. and those contribute to the blue labels, right? So those are human interaction events. So we use those to mark those as humans. Mm-hmm. Whereas when our tag, rides along with the ad itself, it's in the ad iframe. So usually due to cross-domain browser security, 
the tag cannot look outside of itself, right? Cannot look outside of that iframe. So when the human is scrolling up and down on the page itself, we don't get to see it or gotcha. when they're clicking or when they're touching. So the measurements are different. And this is why as a scientist, I had to tune the tags differently. Yeah. But if you think about all the other fraud detection companies, they just give you the same tag. That's why there's measurement problems, right? So for example, Moat, when it's used by the publisher, the mm -hmm. tag is on the page. Moat, when it's used by the advertiser, it goes in the ad iframe, right? Ad slot. And the same uh, measurement provider, Moat, uh, running for the advertiser and for the publisher, they report different numbers. And mm -hmm. that's because they didn't tune their tags correctly, right? They did not differentiate in ad measurement from on-site measurement. And you wow. can't get accurate numbers if you if you do that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I've seen many, many examples over the years where their measurement is simply not correct. And how does somebody get the full analytics tag into their campaign? How much does it so, cost them? How long does it take? What's the turnaround time? Um, right now, I'm offering full analytics for no charge uh, oh, for cool. small businesses. So basically, uh, there's a long waiting list for now, uh, but they just go to fluanalytics.com. There's a little place where they can actually tell me or submit a request to say, uh, can we get an invite to use Fluanalytics? Mm -hmm. uh, the reason for that is for the small and medium businesses, I've been a small business owner for 25 years. And mm -hmm. you know, initially, I had to start using Google Analytics because I couldn't afford anything else. Mm -hmm. So for small and medium businesses and practitioners, they're welcome to use that for free. The, the way I make money uh, and cover cost is when there are large enterprise clients that use it to tag campaigns that are billion, tens of billions of impressions, then obviously right. I have to charge for that. So yeah, larger course. clients actually pay for the infrastructure. Okay, that makes so, a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to be rewarded for your service. What you're doing for this, this industry is, is amazing. You know, the fact that you're offering for free for small businesses, I Yes, somebody has to, to cover their charges and big enterprises are absolutely capable. Somebody's listening and saying, oh, well, I work for media holding companies and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is that like <laughs> there's demand, there's supply and you have to, you know, you have to pay the person. That's it. There's no secret sauce to it. Um, but thank you so much for dropping by. I do have a couple final questions. Do you still have time for it? Okay. Let's take a brief moment for this week's episode sponsor. I wanted to talk briefly about a business. It's a company that I've worked for over the past few years, WorkReduce. Their CEO, Brian Dolan, has been a guest on the podcast a few times last year, talking about how the 80-hour agency work week is no longer sustainable. If you're not familiar with them, WorkReduce works with top holding companies and global brands to augment media specialists into their advertising team to help them scale and grow faster. Their talent is so valuable right now that they're experiencing explosive growth and they're always looking for great talent across all levels of experience. So if you're burnt out and not feeling supported in your current role, or you're wanting to accelerate your career to the next level, check out workreduce.com forward slash careers to see all of their open opportunities. As I mentioned before, I've worked as a trader and project lead for WorkReduce and love the flexibility of working from home, especially after my baby girl was born and while I was ramping up building my own consulting business. They're not a freelance marketplace. You'll enjoy the flexibility of freelancing, but the security 
stability, and benefits of being an employee. And that's why so many top specialists are choosing careers with work reduced over the slog of agency life or the constant self-promotion you need when freelancing. WorkReduce will champion your career every day. If you want to reimagine how to work in advertising, check them out at workreduce.com forward slash careers. Before we close, um, let me ask you this. If you had to give uh, your younger self, like somebody starting in the industry, an advice about what you're doing, how to get to do what you're doing, how to, you know, how to get to where you are now, because I consider you very successful. Um, so what would be like an advice you gave your, I like to say your freshman self uh, that you wish you knew? Or I'll give the same advice to uh, new folks entering yeah. the industry. Exactly. Basically, mm -hmm. learn by doing. Don't be afraid mm -hmm. to run your own experiments. Right. Mm -hmm. So early on, you know, I, I came from MIT. I got my PhD in material mm -hmm. science, and chemical engineering. So it had nothing to do with this. Uh, digital marketing. <laughs> mm -hmm. But as a small business owner, I had to deploy Google Analytics. I had to look at Google Analytics and really learn all of that myself, you know, and, and also run uh, AdWords campaigns and things like that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, even though it's tempting to not have to do that or just outsource it to someone else, mm -hmm, the best mm -hmm. thing you can do is actually run those experiments, do it hands-on, at least initially, right? So you can actually learn and see how all those things yeah. work. The other thing is there's not that many books that you can read, right? That, you know, there's this podcast where you can learn from, but there's not a lot of printed materials because the internet and digital marketing move so fast that, you know, it's, it's, you can't find any, anything print, printed or written. So the best way to learn is by, uh, you know, doing the case studies, uh, you know, doing the campaigns yourself. Mm -hmm. And then once you do that, then your experience is what's going to help the next person, right? So when a marketer comes to you, they're new to programmatic, right? So mm -hmm. they will rely on your experience and having run campaigns before to help them set up and optimize those campaigns. And to me, experience trumps everything. Oh, wow. That's dope. Experience trumps everything. So just learn by doing and learn by others doing as well. And remember to teach it to somebody. Just make sure you share that knowledge. So that's yeah. really important too for the survival of this industry, but also as us as human beings, we, we need to share what we know. That's how we, we connect. So thank you so much for dropping by. That was amazing. We really appreciate you. you. If anybody has to reach out to you, how they how can they do that? Uh, actually, just Google my name, Augustin Fu. It's August plus I-N-E and then <laughs> F-O-U. And I'm on LinkedIn most of the time and on Twitter. So Twitter is a little bit shorter, right? These are tweets. Right. tweets. Mm -hmm. LinkedIn is where I put a little bit longer posts and articles. Mm -hmm. So both places, they're welcome to follow me or connect with me. Yeah. And I did mention the newsletter. Y'all, y'all need to subscribe. It's very, very, it's very helpful. And it's very, it's a lot of insight and it's very detailed. But it's not using, because our industry love jargons and buzzwords, um, it's using enough uh, vocabulary that anybody can read it and understand, of course, if you're working in the industry. So I strongly, strongly recommend um, the newsletter. And of course, thank you so much for coming by. And this episode was, again, this episode was sponsored by Work Reduce. Thank you to our sponsor, Work Reduce. If you want to reimagine how work in advertising, um, check out workreduce for slash career. So workreduce.com forward slash careers. Thank you so much, Dr. Fu, and see you soon. Thank you. All right.